This morning's all about friendship. We're going to look into the Proverbs and see what God has for us about good biblical friendships. And I wanted to make a statement with a blank in it, and I want you to fill it in. Good friendships are blank. Good friendships are what? Think about it for a minute and then start yelling out some responses to that. Good friendships are, go ahead, real loud, rare, indeed, long-lasting, valuable, loyal, honest, encouraging, long-suffering. Are they easy? Are they easy? Good friendships. I think growing, healthy, biblical friendships are hard. They take work, right? And we're going to be, this morning, looking at the scriptures to get some tools to be able to apply these truths so that our friendships become more and more honoring to God and more and more fulfilling to us. You know, they say you're most shaped by your family Growing up until a certain point, usually, you know, high school and then beyond high school for sure and college, and you become more shaped by your friends. And I think that's true. Then you tack on years and years of that and you realize, well, yeah, you know, my, the foundation in a sense was my family, but then what friends do I have in my life and how am I helping shape them and are they shaping me and are they shaping me in good ways and in spiritual and encouraging ways? So we're going to talk about that. And the first point is this, that we've got to choose our friends carefully. They have that much impact. They have that much value. And yet, whoever it was that said they're incredibly rare that you would have lifelong friends that are actually building you up and encouraging you as you go through life, that you're becoming more like Christ because of that friend. And they're becoming more like Christ because of your friendship. So we have to understand how to choose carefully our friends and then how to cultivate these friendships intentionally. So first, how to choose your friends carefully. Just one verse from Proverbs 22, 24 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we think, well, yeah, that, that's obvious. You don't, don't become friends with someone who's angry. Who's Well, I think actually we can choose that. Sometimes people that are outspoken or seem charismatic or whatever and they tend to blurt out their emotions or want to take control or manipulate situations or just, you know, they have a right to be heard and they, they might spew anger or wrath or be very critical or judgmental people. And this proverb says to be very careful of people like that because pretty soon you're going to learn their ways and fall into their traps, fall into their, their ways, into the kind of the messes they create by being kind of so on the edge with their anger and their feelings and their rights and I think that's very helpful as you think about friendships. Now, some of you in this room may say, like, well, I kind of have some friends like that. I'm not sure what to do. Are you saying I shouldn't have them? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, just point it to Jesus and point them to his ways, his ways of gentleness and self-control. But the point really is, are we choosing our friends in a way that we can continue to invest in them to bring them closer to the image of Christ? And are they investing in us in ways that will encourage us to walk more closely with God. So we have to steer clear of of people that aren't pursuing Christ. We have to be careful of those 
that live out of a place of anger or hurt or a wound. Now, it doesn't mean that we reject those people. In fact, Jesus, the people he hung out with, you know, is recorded. You know, he hung out with those that were the drunkards, the sinners, prostitutes, and all that. He was, but he was with them in order to minister to them and show them the hope that was in Christ. He chose his disciples as his close friends to walk with him in his truth, to learn his ways, like the vision of this church, right? To be able to carry on the mission, to be the light of the world like Jesus was displaying and is the light of the world. They would carry that on. But he always related to others that were struggling, but he pointed them to the gospel. He pointed them to the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven was at hand for those that were caught in their anger or their dysfunction or, you know, their wrath or their lack of self-control. So it's an interesting balance I think we find in the scriptures. And here, just be very careful that you don't draw too close lest you start learning their ways and the influence of the friendship, if you could call it that, is negative and they drag you down into things that are destructive, dysfunctional, sinful. 1 Corinthians 15.33 has a similar kind of admonition. Bad company, can you complete it? Corrupts or ruins good morals. You can want to serve God and have righteousness in your life, but depending on who you give yourself to in friendship and where their heart and mind and focus is at, it could start pulling you away from God and you start compromising in areas and that bad company takes you down a road further away from God. And Proverbs 1.10 says, If sinners entice you, do not consent. And it reminds me in the New Testament when Paul's just saying, you know, be careful, you know, obviously who you would marry or who you would even be in business with, that someone of light should not be in relationship with someone of darkness. If you love God and you're walking in his light and someone else does not, they're walking in darkness until they come to Christ and come into his kingdom of light. You have to be very, very cautious that you don't contract pe with people that don't love God and have a totally different value system. That doesn't mean you ignore them, reject them, distance yourself. It means that you love them and you display Christ, and you try to point them to Christ in healthy ways. But if sinners entice you, don't consent. If you can say, wow, their company is its bad, it's not of God, and it's, it's dragging me down, it's dragging me into the mess and the dysfunction of their life, and I'm actually kind of living some of that out in my life, that just would be unwise. So the Proverbs say, be wise. Be careful who you choose your friends with. Now, Job has, had an interesting experience with friends, right? Do you remember when... You know, Satan wanted, Satan, you know, came to God and said like, oh yeah, Job just loves you because you blessed him so much. You just poured your blessing on him. He just loves you for what he's getting from you. And God said, go ahead and test him. You can take away everything but his life. And he did kind of systematically. And Job continued to keep his integrity of loving God and not accusing God of wrongdoing. But his friends came to him and gave this advice. You're suffering because of your sin. Just repent. It's your fault. You're bringing it on yourself. If you just humble yourself before God and repent of it. And that's not what was going on. And Job knew it, but his friends, quote-unquote friends, actually started pouring salt in his wounds, right? Their, their false comfort and bad advice made things worse. And in fact, in the end, when God kind of completed the story in Job's life and brought about reward and healing and the rest of it, he said, you have to go pray for your friends, because they were way off track. And you remember what his wife said to him when he was going through his suffering? Job, you should just curse God and die. Not 
good and helpful advice. <laughs> Boy, I hope we're not like that as spouses, right? But at times, right, we have to be careful. We have to be careful of friends that would give false comfort or bad advice. Something that's not biblical, it's not right, but we, we give ear to it, we give party to it, and we have to be very cautious, and he's warning us that friends have great influence over our heart and the way we, we, we respond not only to God and to them, but to everyone else in our life. So be very careful. But there's another example in Scripture of awesome friends. Remember? There was a king, and he had, even before he was king, he had a good friend named Jonathan. And read about that story between David and Jonathan and how there was... Jonathan really, I think, started it by saying, David, take my armor. Use my armor. You're a man in, in the battle, and you need my armor. And he gave that. But then he also protected David from Jonathan's father, King Saul, who was trying to kill David, who was threatened by David. We know one day then David was protected by God and even used Jonathan in the process, had a solid friendship, and became king. And he had deep, lasting friendship with Jonathan. And that's a great example of how two people can be friends through the thick and the thin of life. And, blo and both flourished. And that's really what we should be shooting for in our friendships, where we come together with another person. And if it's in marriage or outside of marriage, but there's this flourishing that happens in both people's lives. Both their hearts are being encouraged to, to run hard after God. Both are being lifted and challenged and so on. So we choose our friends wisely. And I want to just encourage you to take initiative this way. You know, as we go through these verses, there's always that, Oh, either I agree with it mentally or I agree with it mentally, but it's moving me emotionally and spiritually, and now I need to actually take action. I need to step out and initiate. You know, you've heard that phrase, good friends, or to have friends, you've got to become friendly. Like, you have to be the kind of friend you would want someone else to be. And you'd always want someone to include you and say hi to you and draw you out and initiate to you. So... As much as sometimes we hold back or we may have been wounded in the past, maybe we've chosen unwisely, friends. But today the encouragement is to take initiative and to step out in faith and to choose friends and to initiate in friendship. Maybe it's jumping into a life group or a small group or a Bible study. Maybe it's jumping into a ministry here at the church or something that we do through the church. And you just start to build some great friendships Slowly, because they take time, but you're investing and you're you're initiating, you're you're stepping out, and you're even saying, "Lord, I, I can do this with your help. I can I can initiate new things that will have incredible value to my life and an incredible value to this other person's life and to the kingdom." And we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as ourselves. And so, this kind of friendship that is built through this love, like we sung about, is this foundation is what the world needs to see. It's what people need, right? It's incredibly rare to have a good friend that lasts a lifetime. You go to the grave and you had one good friend, if you have a couple good friends, or in your marriage, if you have that kind of great friendship in your marriage, it's incredibly rare, it's incredibly hard to build, but it's what God provides his church and his people if we would follow his principles. So we have to be wise and choose carefully. We have to take the initiative and then we have to work at our friendships. We have to be determined that this is going to be a friendship that's going to honor God. And I will do everything it takes to build this friendship. I will cultivate 
my friendships intentionally, and that's the second point. So we choose our friends carefully, and then we cultivate these friendships intentionally. How do we do that? Well, one of the first things, and kind of the most obvious, is we've got to be loving. But we can't just be loving sometimes. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at, say it, all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Love is truly seen when it's sacrificial. That's when it really shows up, when it's sacrificial. It's costing you something. You're reaching out to someone. You're expressing love or care when it's costing you something. You put something else aside. You're not, you know, the with them mentality, the what's in it for me. That's not crossing your mind or your heart. You see a need. You see the friend. You know there's an action, a word, something you can do to bring help or aid in some way, and you choose to do it. It's, it's loving because it's sacrificial. Otherwise, it's you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's transactional. It's like a business contract. Well, if this works for you and I can build my business and it kind of helps you with your business, like, cool. Now, friendship, biblically, is way more than that. It's not about what you're getting. It's about what you can give, just like God and his love gives to us. And Christ gave everything for us so that we could be his friends. He says, now just go repeat that pattern. Think about what you can do to be a friend to demonstrate love at all times, not just when it's convenient or when it's easy or when you're feeling most happy about the friendship, but when it's hard. When adversity hits, when adversity hits, can people count on you? Or is it, do you kind of distance yourself a little bit because you don't want to get involved? That's going to cost you something. That's hard. It's, that's kind of messy. I don't like that. I don't know if I can help in that situation. And so we pull back and say we should be pressing in. Adversity comes. We should see it as an opportunity to display we're not a fair-weather friend. You're not a fair-weather friend when you realize there's something hard going on and you move closer. You make yourself available. You bring some biblical counsel. You, you show up and sacrifice time or effort. You make the call. Send an extra text. Fill it with like 7,000 emojis. You know, like you're... you're You're making an attempt to move in when they have more of a need, not pull back a lot or a little when you see the need. You're actually glad, not that they're experiencing adversity, but that you can prove your friendship. And when we get to that point, we know we have the heart of Christ. You're looking for opportunities to prove your friendship. You can do that with family, right? You can do that with friends if you choose to. Something comes up, you're the First one to volunteer to help, to move in close. Why? Because you could just go, well, someone else probably will, and i got a really busy week or month, and, you know, I'm juggling a lot. But when you know you're the first one, hey, yeah, just call me. I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up. Call me. I'll, I'll help you with that. Just like, yeah, do oh, you need help? You know, you're, you're initiating. You're, you're looking for almost some way to... to that's the word. Get handles kind of on their life a little bit. It gives you something to grab onto and serve in, and if you will hold them and show love and concern. And it's very much not like the world. It's very much like Christ. You've just showed your heart. You've displayed that you're trying to love at all times, and especially, especially when they need you most. You take advantage of those times. You see them as ministry opportunities from the Lord. 
the storm is happening and you'll suit up and you'll walk into the storm with them. You don't wait for the storm to end, then you re-engage. You engage while they're in the storm and you suit up with them. You say, I'm with you in this and it's not a hassle for me and this is not convenient. And they'll thank you again and again and say, oh, you shouldn't have. You're like, no. This is why I'm your friend. This is what I'm called to do and be. And I actually love that I can do this with you and for you. And I'm sure there'll be times you'll have to do it with me because it's mutual. But see, you're, you're just kind of initiating what you would hope would start to be lifted up and valued in the friendship. And it will. And the mutuality will come. It's being able to rejoice when they're happy about something, right? Sometimes... It's interesting. I think people can only get as happy as they feel happy in their life. Like, well, if that happened, they got a raise. Well, I've wanted a raise. I actually wanted a raise longer than you did. And now you got it. Like, oh, that's good, yeah. No, I mean, no, no, no. It's good. No, great. That's great. Like, we should be so pumped when someone, something good happens to one of our friends. If our focus is a godly biblical friendship. So pumped. We should be like, what? Are you kidding me? That's awesome. You deserved it. You worked so hard at that. Like, congratulations. Like, let's go on and get something to eat. You're ready to celebrate. You go, you kind of go nutsy above and beyond, like almost silly. If you would think of it that way, like, yes, celebrate the little things and celebrate the big things. But oftentimes the little things are the ones we ignore. The big ones, like, well, anyone would do that. Well, yeah, do the big ones, but over the little things, little progress, little victories. Like you went to the gym like twice this year? That's awesome. No. <laughs> like you just celebrate good victories, good improvement, good steps, things they're excited about. Well, I don't know if anyone's ever done that with me. People don't recognize my good. Okay, back to what? If you're thinking the back, back to what? Me. Get that from God. Get that from God every day. That's why he's given us his word, right? That's where the Holy Spirit lives in you, to encourage you, to spur you on to love and good deeds and reminding you what Jesus taught and how he lived and you're like, yeah, I need, to, I need to be forgiving. And you're doing that, and you see a benefit in the relationship and in your own heart, and it glorifies God. But then you're, you're just like, wow, more and more I'm like that. You know, I should, I should be lifting up and celebrating these good things that are happening with people all around me and not, not thinking that I haven't gotten enough of it, so I can't pour it back out. Oh, I, I get that poured in every day. I spend time with the Lord. Every day I recognize his goodness and his blessing. I saw this picture. I don't know, it must have been online somewhere. But this whole wall was recounting his blessings. And, you know, you go one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. And it was one of the coolest kind of art displays. The entire wall was all of those sets of five. The whole wall. Counting his blessings. And I'm going like, man, I'd love that in my house. Because people just go like, well, what's, what's? Then, it, then it'll hit them. Then they stare at it. Then it hits them. That's how we should feel, so incredibly blessed by God, so taken care of as a son and daughter. His presence is so rich and so valuable and so precious to us because there's no one like him in the world. He is our best friend and our God and our Father. And because I know that and I celebrate that, then I should be at the place where I can give that kind of celebration to other people, to my friends. I can celebrate the victories. I can also mourn when they're mourning because I have something to give them. Why? Because he's filling my heart with himself. 
So it's not me. It's not you. It's you're receiving from the Lord each day. Yes, you have your issues, your trials, your struggles. That's not right. You're still growing. But you're receiving from him. Now you have something to give when they're mourning. You're able to mourn. It doesn't like bum you out like now you're depressed with them. Like they fill in a hole and now, okay, and you just fall in too. No, you can jump in. I've been in this hole before. Like, I've heard this. Like, why did you jump in? Like, and they would go, now we're both stuck. It's like, you jumped in because you, you could say, oh, because I've been in this hole before. Thus meaning, I know how to get out. Jesus will help us out together. Again, you, you actually look for opportunities to mourn while they're mourning. That's not your... It's a weird thing to say it like that, maybe, but you, you're looking for ways to demonstrate that Christ is real to you and there's compassion and mercy flowing in your life and you're able to give that to them. You love the opportunity to do that. And you love celebrating God's goodness. And he's good in both ways, yeah? So often, though, we, we forget to initiate that kind of love. Loving at all times, not just at the easy times. Secondly, loyalty and forgiveness. Huge part of godly biblical friendship. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And in Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers what? All offenses. These days we can have lots of acquaintances, right? But it's friends that we need. We don't need another 200 people putting likes on our Instagram. That's not what we need. That's fun. What we need is to be a good friend. That fills us up. And we need good friendships and that it's mutual so both things fill us up. It's crazy how God works that. He says it's better to give than receive. So if I just say I want to be a friend who's loyal and forgiving and give that way to others, I don't need to have all these multiple acquaintances and companions all out there in the world and everyone knows my name or they think I'm cool or whatever it is. It's like I don't care about that. It's like I actually don't care if 900 people saw that I went on this vacation or if my best friends know I'm grateful that they were praying for me and I want them to go next time. Like that, see, you could, you could lose your focus and always be thinking of like this instead of like this with a few. We can have many companions, but we could still run into ruin. Or we could have a friend that sticks closer than a brother who's willing to give loyalty and forgiveness and cover our offenses as we can be loyal and forgiving and cover theirs. Are you loyal to your friends? Do you believe the best in your friends? Even when others may not agree about them the same way. Even when they've stopped believing in themselves and gotten so discouraged. Are you the friend that says, I still believe in you and get up. No, we're going. No, you can do this. And you've always been good at this. And like, no, keep going. And I'm praying for you. And you step in closer than a brother. Even, and you know that that's true. Sometimes family can be close. But man, great friendships can be even closer at times. Are you that kind of friend that's loyal when the going gets tough, when there's a need to forgive? And I think that's what really shows whether there's loyalty. There's been a hurt, a difference, a crossword. Someone was late. Someone forgot. Someone did something. The other person, you feel like, oh, they should know that that hurt. That's hurt me in the past. Why would they do it again? But you're going to be loyal. You're going to express the hurt lovingly. You're going to pray for them, the situation. And then you're going to go to them. And you're going to prove your loyalty to them 
by not distancing yourself and holding a grudge, you continue to give your heart to them, and it shows your loyalty, and it shows that you've understood the forgiveness of Christ. If we live with a present awareness of God's forgiveness of us, we'll really be ready to give that to friends, and that goes a long way in a friendship. But you have to be living in that active, real walk with God where you know his grace and mercy and forgiveness is needed in your life. And then, yeah, as you're going, and then all of a sudden this happens, and it's with a friend, and you're like, oh, I can't. And you go, wait a minute. I've hurt them. I've hurt others. I think I'm, I'm the perfect example of Christ in flesh, and I never hurt my friends and disappoint my family. That's not you, and that's not me. So we receive it from God, that grace, his loyal forgiveness, and then we have this ability to give it to others. And that's a work in progress. But aren't you glad that as you're a work in progress, God loves you like the apple of his eye? He's not disappointed in you. He's not saying like, are you kidding? You've been working at this your whole life. He's just glad that you admitted it and that you want his forgiveness and you're going to now move toward forgiveness with your friend. That honors God. In fact, it reminds me of this word in Hebrew, hesed, which means loyal love. And I think it's used probably in one of the most beautiful ways in the book of Ruth, in the story of Ruth where you see how she was so richly rewarded for her loyal love of Ruth, who lost her husband and lost her two sons. That was Naomi. Who lost those three very important people in her life, and Ruth chose to stay with Naomi instead of going off to find her own husband, and she was much younger. And God rewarded her for her hesed, rewarded her for her loyal love. And in the end, there's such a beautiful picture of the redemption of God, the love of God, this loyalty. She couldn't be talked out of it. She would be loyal and be loving toward Naomi. What a captivating story that is. I encourage you to read it this week, to be reminded what loyalty looks like and how powerful forgiveness can be in your life and in my life. Jesus, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 15, both places, talks about his loyal love. In chapter 13, verse 1, he said, Jesus loved them to the end, and he made that commitment to them all the way through, but at the end, when he's about ready to go to the cross and enter his passion and go into the, the garden and cry out to God, he's having this special last supper with his disciples, and he knew that they would soon withdraw and desert him. They would not be loyal like he is and always will be. He knew what was coming. And yet he loved them and served them at that table by getting up, taking off his outer garment, grabbing a towel and a basin to wash their feet. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine of knowing my disciples would not be loyal and desert me and thinking, yeah, this would be a really cool time now to show them the depth of my love. And yet that's who God is. He's always like that. Jesus was displaying the heart of the Father, and he's always, the, heart, the Father's heart is always like that. In the midst of our sin and waywardness and what's in it for me and, and our pride and our ego and our so quickly deserting Christ or what we know to be true at times, his love is loyal to the end. And then we see in chapter 15, 
Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And what did Jesus do? He demonstrated that his love is the greatest because he chose to lay down his life for his friends. And this last week hit me really hard. You know, as I was thinking about this football coach at that high school, and the bullets started to fly, and he starts grabbing students and pushing them into a classroom so they could be safe. He was shielding them and trying to get them into the classroom. Apparently took several bullets and saved how, who knows how many lives and gave his life. That was great love. But to think of Jesus taking all of the bullets of our sin and all of mankind onto himself, our shame and our guilt and what separated us from God the Father, saying, I will take it all. I will shield you all with my loyal love. You are unloyal. You are unfaithful. And in your sin, you're so far from God. That's why I'm doing this. Because I want you behind me and in my safety, protection, and righteousness. And he's always loyal to us like that. Are we loyal like that to our friends? Are we forgiving like that? Do we live with this mindset all the time when we're with people that he so loves me, now I can so love others? So we love them, and we're loyal, and we're forgiving, and then also in a good friendship, we learn how to sharpen each other. Proverbs 27, 17, one of the most famous Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And it hit me this morning, how was Jesus betrayed by Judas? with a kiss. And there was a song I remembered. I don't remember who it was that sung it, but it says, that's not what a kiss is for. It's not what a kiss is for. A kiss should be showing loyalty and affection and friendship. That's how he chose to betray the Savior? Okay. Iron sharpens iron. In your friendships, are you focused on lifting that other person closer to God? Are you willing to make a sacrifice of yourself, taking a chance, sharing some truth that could be hard to hear in order that they would come closer to the image of Christ, that they could understand more of the love of God because maybe sin has taken hold in their life or they're just wandering? Are you you willing to bring them back? Are you willing to be like that iron that sharpens iron when it rubs against each other? Both of you get sharpened, and that's what he's talking about here. And at times, yeah, that, that sharp but loving word cuts creates a wound. Maybe there's something, some poisonous, some cancerous, some, something sin in your life that needs to be removed, and it leaves a mark. But it will heal, and now it won't take the whole body. That's what friends do, biblical friends. They're not going to kiss you and turn around and then be disloyal to you. They're going to prove their friendship by being willing to sharpen you, to encourage you, to call you out when needed. Because they've already loved you and been loyal to you and forgiven you and received all that from you. Because they've built a foundation and earned the right to be heard. That's hard work. But when you put that work in, then you can say to the friend, this, I, is, is, this hurt. This was not right. Or what you're doing in this situation or 
Biblically, this is the direction I believe you need to go. And you might get a reaction. You might feel them push away. Are you willing to take that risk to speak the truth and be iron sharpening iron in their life? Are you willing to be transparent with one another so that weaknesses actually show up and you're, you're not hiding from one another, but you can point out the blind spots, the areas where you need to keep growing? And are you willing to lift them to God and take those steps of faith and those risks and speak truthfully with your friend? Now you know if you are, you're building real intimacy. You're building texture into the friendship. It's not kind of flat and shallow and worldly. It's something of God and his truth is the center. And you're desiring them to know God more closely. So you say something, you ask a question, you do something because you're wanting them to progress in their faith. Not that you're the perfect one, but you know it'll come back to you the other way. and They'll encourage you and lift you. We're called by, by God in Scripture to do this. And in Hebrews, we see it repeated both in chapter 3 and in chapter 10. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then in chapter 10, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So how often should we be exhorting and encouraging our friends? How often does it say? Every day. Why? Because every day sin will be crouching at the door wanting to have them. Sin wants to crash in. Like God told Cain when his offering wasn't right before God and he was comparing it with Abel and he started getting jealous of Abel and he was angry at God. He said, sin's crouching at the door and it wants to rule. It wants to come in and you must rule over it. That's our reality every day. Sin's always crouching at the door. We live in a sin-soaked world full of temptation. We're still dealing with our own sin issues and growing. Sin wants to get in the door and wreak havoc. You're a good friend. You walk into someone's house and you see a snake over there in the ground. You're probably not going to go, oh. You're going to go, rattlesnake! Are you kidding? Did you see it? You didn't see it? Yeah, obviously you didn't see it. You're going to do something to get it out of there. I saw some YouTube about them trying to corral a snake with a towel and a trash can. It wasn't working at all. And I'm just going to like, but you point that out and you're going to do something. You're going to take the risk. You're going to join together because sin tries to get in the door and get in our house and destroy our faith and pull us away from God. And yet we're called to exhort one another, to encourage one another as long as it's called today because that sin will... deceive us and trick us we actually won't even think that there are snakes and spiders and dirt in our house we'll actually start to ignore it because that's what the world can do if we're not living with good friends that will encourage and challenge us and point things out and let's keep going let's keep going let's put the armor back on let's lock shields like john was saying earlier let's let's do this together i'm going to sharpen you you're going to sharpen me i'm going to say some things might hurt your feelings a little bit but it's truth And here it is, I can show you. So let's keep going and you'll do it with me. And we'll find the snakes and the spiders and the stuff and we'll get it out. It's crouching at the door. We're not letting it in. I love you enough to not let the sin take over in your life. Do you love your friends like that? Are you in fellowship like that in this church with others? That's biblical friendship. Consider how to stir them up to love and to good works. Consider it. Think about it. Like, how am I going to stir them up? What am I going to do? Today, I'm going to my life group. I'm going to my Bible study. I'm helping with this ministry. I'm coming to church. 
Am I going to stir up anyone to loving good works? Or I just come in, what's in it for me? How's the message? How's the worship for me? I was a little loud. It could have been louder. He was a little long. Could have been shorter. Could have been longer. I like more. I want to go deeper. I want to go longer. Why was he so long? Like, you see, no matter what, in a sense, any of us do up here, if you're in it for yourself and not the glory of God, and what you're learning about him and learning about, like today, friendship, you could be disappointed that your favorite donut was taken. You're like... (laughs) How many of those do they order? Well, obviously, they need to order more. Glazed. Okay. We can get there, all of us, but we can also live there if we're not careful. Let's reverse that. Let's let the love of God fill us with all of his blessing, all of his love, all of his loyalty. Let's celebrate his forgiveness and his grace in our own lives. Let's be in his word each day. Let's be really praying from our guts and from our heart, from a real place before God. And just by saying yes to all those things, you know what? It's going to spill out into our friendships. And we're going to be sharpening and encouraging and stirring one another up to love and good deeds. We're not just going to be about what's in it for me and how did I like it. You should leave going, who did I stir up today? That's what, you want to say, how was church? You should think back and go, okay, who did I stir up? Was I stirred up? Yeah, I was stirred up. Who did I stir up? Who did I stir up? Anybody? No, I couldn't, I couldn't think of what to say. I just kind of had to go because I was in a hurry because, you know, and I got to do, you know, and just, we can all be there, right? We got to like say, Lord, help renew my mind. Help renew how I think about relationships and Lord, especially these friendships that they would glorify you, look more like you and then influence others. As we're building this great friendship, it can influence others. I have some great examples of this from our life group. I think the ones that hit me strongest over the last few years is two couples and two wives lost their husbands, and we were there to be able to just pour out the love of Christ onto one another. And ups and downs and laughs and funny things and pain and mourning and tears and all that, all together, all through these months, taking the life group to their house because he couldn't get off the couch because he was so weak, but he wanted the fellowship, and we wanted to be good biblical friends, right? And that stirred us up, and we stirred him up, and it was caring, and it was real, and we can do that. We just have to take that step and say, I want to be that kind of biblical friend to somebody, or I want my friendships that are kind of like at this level, I want them to start rising up to a level that really glorifies God more and more. I want to spur them on to healthier choices and actions and words, just like I want them to in me. I want to believe for them a bright future in Christ and more fruitfulness, just like I want them to believe it in me. I want to join them. It's what's so cool about this trip going down to Mexico, to Ensenada. There's so many people so pumped about going down and building a house in Mexico. I think because they want to do it together, they know their friendship, they watch the video, they go, if that's anywhere even close to real, if those aren't world, aren't, aren't were, <laughs> did you understand that? If those, all, all those guys weren't just actors, it's like, I want that. I think that's what was happening. I want that. I want to serve and be stirred up, and I want to go. I want to do that. You don't need to go to Mexico to do that. It's great, but I hope when people go and then they come back, they're stirred up, and they want to keep stirring up others. We're talking these elders get up here every week and and stir you up to come and pray with us 5 to 6 o'clock. I hope you're stirred up. I hope it's uncomfortable. I hope you're like, oh, yes. They're trying to stir you up to be a person of prayer, so we're going to be a house of prayer. And I can tell you, I need it, and you need it. That's because we want to be good friends with you, not just brothers and sisters at a distance. We want to see you grow in your 
and your ability to pray. We want to see you reach out to God together and call on the name of the Lord. Your spouse, you bring your spouse, you bring your friends, you bring your buddy, you bring whoever it is. That'd be pretty awesome if we see that more and more and more in this church. And then you add to that, because I love this. I'm going to do this really fast. In the New Testament, you're like, okay, so is there anything else in the New Testament? Yeah, add this to your list. You ready? Take a deep breath. This is how you're supposed to be toward one another. Forgiving one another, honoring one another, serving one another, praying for one another, bearing with one another, accepting one another, love one another, be hospitable to one another, submit to one another, carry one another's burdens, harmonize together, accept one another, teach one another, admonish one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate one with another. You're going to be an awesome friend if you keep those things in mind. If you say, Lord, help me to choose carefully Help me to be intentional with my love, my loyalty, my forgiveness, and my sharpening of them. And Lord, all that you intend for me to learn from my friends, please teach me. And I want to have a larger heart. I want you to enlarge my heart for more friends. That I can live this out. And together as a church, we can see God do new things and greater things than that we've even witnessed. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be able to bring people that don't even know Christ into this church and just be like blown away by what they're seeing? Is this real? People sacrifice like this? They cover one, of one another's offenses like this? They're loyal like this? I think we all want that. And we can be that. And we're going to be that together. And the power of Christ, based on the truth of his word, if we live what we've learned, it will happen. You ready to pray? And we're going to worship. We're going to have uh, communion as well. So if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, I invite you to take the bread and the juice and hold them, and we'll eat together and drink together. But if you don't know Christ, we're going to pray right now for you to be able to receive him not only as your Heavenly Father who would forgive you, but your friend. So let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you chose us as your friends. You knew you had to forgive us and send your son, Father. Jesus, you were willing to love us to the end and to give up your life as a ransom for many, for us, for me. Thank you, Lord. If you want God as your friend, if you want to know him as your heavenly father, your sin has separated you from him to this point. But all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Would you forgive my wrongs, my wanderings, my sin, and come into my life. Change my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Then he'll do that. Just ask him to do that right now. Father, I want to be a child of God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you, Jesus. And that's my prayer. I'm coming to you Father in heaven, through Jesus, your son, forgive me. Thank you that I can become a child of God and, and now walk with you as my God and my friend. Thank you, Lord. If you prayed that prayer, let someone know because they'll be ready to celebrate with you the best decision, the most important decision in your life. Praise the Lord. And Father, for all of us, as we continue to build 
friendships and build the fellowship of Christ in this church and with our friends, even outside of this church. God, may, ha- may they have the mark of Jesus' love, loyalty, forgiveness. May we sharpen each other for your glory, for the influence of Christ and his love in this world until you return for us.